Armageddon is accomplished, then uh, the devil is bound up and banished. I mean, when the millennium stuff. And that's where we're at right now. We're kind of in verse four, just dipping our toes into the millennium. Okay? So just so you have um, a quick update where we're at in the storyline here. Let's see. I'm going to start at verse four. Well, let's go ahead and throw my illustration up there. This is one of my more beautiful illustrations, I think. It kind of, chronologically, it kind of goes like this. And it ends up in the top middle. Okay, so it doesn't go like that. It goes around this. So to start it off, we have an angel was given a what? Sword. Yeah, swords over here, and this is, it's hard to tell from the screen, but it's kind of close. A whistle? Somebody hasn't been here for a while, has he, Brian? It's been a minute. What was he given? Key. A key. The key, because he needs to be able to lock him up. So what's he do first? He binds him up with what? A, very, a great chain. So binds him up with a chain, throws him into the where? The abyss for how long? A thousand years. And uh, when he throws him in there, he uses the key to lock him up. All right. So that's, this is the introduction of the, the millennium. So he's thrown out in there. He's locked up. So what's, what are we picturing here? What does John tell us specifically about uh, why is he thrown into that? Locked up, bound up situation for a thousand years, so he can't do what? He can't deceive human beings on the earth. He can't mess with us in any way, shape, or form for a thousand years. I say us, he can't could mess with us anyway because we're saved, redeemed, and resurrected. The folks who are on the planet, uh, yeah, he can't deceive them, he can't mess with them in any way. And so during this thousand year time frame, who is ruling and reigning on the earth? Jesus, see that? Go away. The um, marks from the cross, are those still going to be visible in heaven? Throughout eternity? Say yes, people. Okay. So, and he's carrying, this is the scepter, <laughs> the symbol of authority and kingship. He's got the crown on. On the scepter says 1,000 years. And does he rule all by himself on the planet? Oh, he's got little rulers that rule with him. We're going to find out today exactly who is doing that with him. And then, uh, then this is where we're at right now, the millennium part. We'll get to this probably not today, but down the line. Okay, any comments or questions on the view and catch up? Are you sure you don't want an illustration this to I think that's one of my best. <laughs> okay, Isabella, what do you think? I do the same to her. I call her Victoria. They're afraid for my brain this morning. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for forgiving me and loving me anyway. I had a rough morning. 
washed my hair, got my system all messed up, and I never combed it. I told the kids. So later on, I finished my routine and glanced in the mirror, and I was like, Whoa! I had to wet my hair again to get it under control and brush it. So I told Lisa, I said, I've already had a rough morning. <laughs> Must be that extra hour of sleep's got me off. Okay, so let's go into Revelation chapter 20. We're going to pick it up at verse 4, which is exactly where we, we just kind of dipped our toes in verse 4 last Sunday. That's pretty good. John says, I saw, if you're numbering that in your Bibles, that's uh, the fifth time, his fifth vision. Yeah. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. So what do we know about, is throne singular or plural? Plural. So there's going to be one overarching primary above all thrones, right? Who sits on that one? Jesus himself. But then there's going to be other thrones, so we have, like we do in most government systems, top down, right? We have senators and congressmen, and then we have governors, and we have local county supervisors all the way down. Same thing in the millennium. Uh, that's just, uh, that's the best, the best and most efficient way for government to work. So I saw thrones. Well, who are on these thrones? I think we looked at this last Sunday, but let's do it to just kind of get back on track here. Matthew 19.28. Jesus said to the disciples, the twelve, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, we'll talk about that a little bit. That's not the normal word that the rest of the New Testament uses. You have renewal of all things. Usually, we hear new heaven and new earth, uh, or we hear different kinds of descriptions of some event at the end. So this one sounds to me like kind of a general, a generalized term for at the end of all things, at the renewal of all things. Talk about the millennium because he talks about thrones. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, and who is he talking to? Disciples, and he could have been talking to hundreds of disciples in a large group, right? But in this case, he's talking to the 12. Um, and we'll find out in a second why I know that. He says, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So, so far, who do we know is going to be ruling with Jesus in the morning? 12 disciples. And their realm of authority is going to be very specific. Where are they going to rule? Over the 12 tribes right there in Israel. Okay, So we know th those are some of the thrones for the disciples. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's interesting. We get from the Apostle Paul 
we get tiny little references like this scattered all over his letters. So when he went up, you know, later, one of his letters, he says, uh, I went up to heaven. He says, I don't know if it was in, with my body or not, but I was there. And then God showed me stuff, and he says, I can't tell you much of what it was up to all kinds of things. It's, it looks to me like God showed him a lot about the end times. Because it pops up in little teeny blips all over the place. <coughs> and it's, it's such um, brief, momentary mentions most of the time that you don't really get the gist that God told him a lot about the end times. First Thessalonians 4, he gets a long stretch, right? A long stretch about the end times, the rapture and stuff. But most of the rest of his, his letters, there's just a little comment here and there, a little comment um, kind of bleeds out. So here's one of those spots. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? So Corinth, they had a lot of fleshly troubles, right? He established a congregation there. He moved on. Um, they wrestled with a lot of worldly stuff after he left. And apparently one of the things is they had some disagreements and they were taking each other to court to resolve disagreements. Christians from the same congregation. So Paul writes here and he's like, what are you doing? So he says, if any of you has a dispute with another, dare you take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Verse 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Now is that limited to the twelve? No, not in any way. He says, the saints will judge the world. And if you are to judge the world, there he makes it really super clear. Who's going to judge the world? Believers are. Are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge who? Angels. Angels. How much more the things of this life? Well, that's a strange concept, right? Us judging angels. Which, which angels need judgment? The servant of right or wrong? Yeah, the ones who rebelled against God and followed Lucifer and his flag and so forth. But So apparently, we get to sit in some kind of judgment over those disobedient angels. I don't know. Insight, comments, questions on that? It's the only place I remember this being mentioned in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, Tim says, what, what do we know about judging angels? Why are we in that place? Yeah. Of course, we have really intimate knowledge of right and wrong, don't we? Because we're really good at wrong. <laughs> and we know Jesus, so we have a really good idea of right. But yeah, very interesting question. Other, other comments? Well, you know, it starts off with you, you're suing each other and going before courts of law for judgment on your case. That's the context. So I didn't look at other versions. Anybody have a different version? Usually a different word. Yeah. I, we don't need to. Well, judgment can be either way, right? It can be the judgment that says, You've done right, you deserve a reward. 
can also be the judgment of you've done wrong, you deserve punishment. So maybe it's both and kind of thing, but just really, really interesting to me. Okay, so so far we got the 12 disciples are going to judge and rule in Israel proper. Now we've got who else is going to judge? All believers. Go to Luke chapter 22. Sorry to write these down in order of our here in the Bible, just as we came to it. So Luke 22. Luke 22, 28 to 30. <clears throat> this is at the Last Supper with the disciples. Jesus says to them, You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So that confirms that other place where the 12 disciples. So he tells them on multiple occasions, guys, this is what you're going to be doing later on. Go now to Revelation. There's two or three mentions here. <clears throat> Revelation 2.26. So whenever somebody says Revelation chapter 2 or chapter 3, what do you know we're going to? The letters of the seven churches are chapters 2 and 3. So when I say we're going to chapter 2 and 26, you know it's one of the letters to the churches. So this happens to be the tail end of the letter to the church of Thyatira. Jesus writes and says to them in verse 26, To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give what? Glory over the nations. So this is written to believers in the congregation in Thyatira. Um, it's all inclusive. All the believers there who overcome do his will to the end. All the way, I'll give authority over the nations. How about chapter 3, verse 21? This is the last letter, the last church is uh, Laodosia, Laodicea. Just the one that, yeah, this is the lukewarm church. So 321. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now there it doesn't specify that we get to judge and rule and so forth, but if we get to sit with him on his throne, it implies that we'll be exercising authority as well. Chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. <clears throat> this is the this is the the song that's being sung. I think it's by the 
9, they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll. So they're singing to Jesus because they just discovered that he's the only one that's worthy to open the scroll. Okay? So they sing, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. With your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will what? Reign on the earth. So that speaks to kingdom authority. Um, you can easily extrapolate to that. Thrones, ruling, judging, all those things. Who is that for? Who gets to reign with the Lord? Right. All believers purchased by the blood of Christ from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Say, that's a lot of rulers. Okay? So, <clears throat> back to chapter 20, verse 4. <clears throat> when John writes in verse 4, I saw thrones in which were seated those who have been given authority to judge. Who's he seen? All the believers, the 12 in Israel, that's who he's seeing, this great big mob, in a sense. Tons and tons of people who are ruling at every level in government around the planet. Authority to judge. Now, it's going to be really interesting, the next couple, three verses. Uh, just going to be up front and say, not super black and white, crystal clear. But if we keep in mind this opening big picture, he starts, what did he see? He saw believers all over the planet ruling on thrones under the authority of Christ. That's what, that's what the vision opens with. Great big mob, people from every language, tribe, nation uh, are all ruling with him. That's what he sees initially. So next sentence he says, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. So who does he see among the folks that are ruling on the planet? Those who've been beheaded because of their testimony. So, so martyrs. Now, any of the previous passages say only the disciples and only martyrs get to rule? Only people who have physically had their lives taken for the sake of Jesus? No, there was no there was no, um, yeah, no clarification, no, no boiling it down to that kind of level. Just every believer gets to rule. So keep in mind, he's, his first part of the vision was everybody's ruling all over the planet. And, and as you look at that group all over the planet ruling and reigning, he says, I saw the souls, those who have been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus, because of the word of God. Now, in the NIV that I've got, uh, they kind of biffed it. I don't know, biffed it, but um, it should almost, it should continue in the literal Greek, it should continue. And whose, and who had not worshipped the beast. So kind of almost the same group. And who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. So if you were, it's, I kind of want, I wonder, why does he know these folks specifically? All believers are ruling and reigning around the planet. 
why does John pick out this particular group? And it could be two separate groups, but probably, grammatically, it's probably one group who have been beheaded for Christ, uh, didn't take the mark during the tribulation time towards the end. Why does he specifically mention them in this great big group of believers who's ruling the great <laughs> no heads, you still have us all. Yeah, amen. Good. What else? Mm -hmm. Yep, those souls were waiting under the altar. Right. Yes, that's good. Tim says they've been under the altar. They're, they're martyred believers. They were physically killed for their faith. And apparently they've been given like a special place in heaven. They're under the altar right there in front of the throne of God in heaven. What are they crying out? How long, Lord, until justice happens? So now justice is happening. They get to rule and reign. Um, what else? I got an idea in my mind. I don't see if anybody else came in the world. Why would he notice this group? Why else would he notice this group? Ruling and reigning on the planet. If they've had a special place near God, under the altar, right in front of his throne, what might also be the case as we rule and reign on the planet? No offense, but are they going to be township? On the township board? These folks are probably going to be where <coughs> Yeah, I'm feeling like they're going to be governors, they're going to be senators, kind of thing to use American political system analogy. I'm feeling like they're going to be on the top end of the food chain, like as part of the honor to them for giving their lives literally for Christ, not shrinking from that moment. I feel like they're going to be given greater honor greater authority to rule and reign and judge in the millennium. Now, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know if I'm stretching my neck out, but kind of like two plus two plus two probably equals six. What do you think? They gave a greater sacrifice for the sake of Christ. Um, the Bible talks about crowns for us, rewards in heaven. Um, you give a cup of cool water to somebody you need, you get a reward kind of thing. Well, if that's the case, and it is, then what kind of reward would there be for standing fast for Jesus even though they take your life for him? I feel like it's probably pretty clear that they're going to be... And they should be, right? If, I would I would gladly step out of the way and say, please, you know, I'm amazed by your faith and your courage, you know, all those things. I'd be like, yeah, 
So that that's my thinking. I said this this is me. This is this is us together. But um, again, trying to make sense together in scripture. I think that's what we're talking about here. No, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, so if I'm tracking with you, you're saying like, so the people who are the most wicked and evil and violent on Satan's behalf, they're going to have the highest positions. How does a Putin get a job with this guy? You know, uh, he's rocking it for the devil. I know this is our this is our the righteousness in us from from the Lord that rises up. But like, so you go, what's the deal with like George Soros? Okay, multi-billionaire, the guy's been funding every wicked thing around the planet. He sees something wicked or sees something he can create wickedness, he writes a check, and he's been doing this for decades. And almost every single evil rock you look under. Somewhere under there is a check with George Soros' name on it. And the guy's got to be like, what, 150 years old? <laughs> He's looked for 20 years like he should die any day. And and you're just like, Lord God Almighty, shouldn't we be done? I'm sure he set up foundations in his will is set up to keep on funding this stuff forever. So he, he dies, won't make any difference. But, you know, when you, when you look at it... Um, He's put the devil's upper echelon right hand in. Is the devil going to work hard at keeping him around for an ungodly, literal life, length of time? Seems like it's working out that way. And that's that's often the case. So. Well, the devil himself is locked up. Well, and the uh, he's chained. That's that's good to, to recap. So, the Antichrist and the false prophet are already in the fiery lake for the whole thousand years. They go first. Um, the devil is chained up in a different place, the abyss, for the thousand years because he's got one more thing he's got to do. Has to get clobbered one more time again, and then he joins them in the lake. Okay, really good. So this is a great question, Jack, because what about the other unbelievers um, who have died through all of all the years and through the end times and stuff? What about them? They don't get resurrected until after the millennium is done. <laughs> this is interesting, right? We're getting there. Let's let's let Pastor Joe quit. 
What about the demons you says the following eight? Uh, they aren't really mentioned, so excellent question. Well, I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, they aren't specifically mentioned, so I can't be too, uh, too bold here, but if Satan himself is bound and locked up, and he's not allowed to deceive. That, that means his minions aren't allowed to follow his commands either. So I guess in a sense, maybe they're they're locked up too. But I don't know. Well, yeah, but we're talking about the demons specifically right now. But um, yeah, he he won't be alive. His soul will be. This is getting interesting. His soul will not be in heaven, obviously. It will be somewhere else, the other place. Um, hell? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. This this is where confirmation kids start. You're just bringing me down. I don't know. I don't know. So quit asking. Quit asking questions. Ask me something I know. Jesus died for me on the cross. I know that. Okay, so let's go further because this is going to add more questions but answer a few of them. So let's go back. Let's start verse 4. Follow here through with John. I saw thrones in which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. I saw the souls of those who had been committed because of their testimony to Jesus and because of the word of God and who had not worshipped the or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Question, when did they come to life? Okay, kind of sounds here like at the beginning of the millennium, doesn't it? But, but now something in your brain should probably say, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. When did everybody get raptured? What does scripture clearly teach? When the rapture, when Jesus comes back on the clouds, he doesn't come down to the earth. That doesn't happen until the end when he rules from Jerusalem, right? He comes back on the clouds to do what? To take us out of here. Who, who goes first? Sleeping in Christ go first, and then all who are on the earth awake in that moment, living in that moment, then they go up. Is it possible that? So, and this is the uh, one. So, when does the rapture happen? It happens way towards the end. All and and it, when does the rapture happen? God said it'll happen when the last. Martyr, the number of the martyrs has been filled up. When the very last martyr is, is loses his head or whatever, God's gonna be like, okay, souls under the altar, altar, it's full. We're done with we're done with martyrdom. We're done with my children being harassed and hurt and killed. We're done. We're raptured. So in that moment, they should almost assuredly get their resurrection bodies like all the rest of us do. Okay? So, but I don't want to be too too snarky about that, right? 
It says they came to life. Now it doesn't say exactly when. He could he could easily be saying, you know, well, they came to life with the rest of us back there in the rapture, just a, just a few weeks before this event, actually. Just a few, well, maybe months. Yeah, yeah, months, a few months. But they came to life, you know, back there. Remember that rapture day? Wasn't that a great day? Yeah, they came to life then, and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. Um, nowhere else, it's not, he doesn't definitely say here, at this moment they came to life. At the moment of the starting of the millennium, he doesn't say that specifically. <coughs> um, what's his main theme in this whole vision so far? It's all about who he sees reigning on thrones during the morning. He sees this particular group. I think he points them out because they need, they need encouragement. When we go into the end times, and, and if we go into the end times, and it's after the midpoint and Christians start losing their lives, start getting martyred right and left, we might need some encouragement. Amen? And one of the encouragements is, not only are you saved in Christ if you continue to, to live for him and stand for him, but if you lose your life for his sake, you will get one of the greatest rewards there is. You'll be top-end, big throne, <laughs> ruling with Christ in the millennium. Um, that's, the, that's the main, that's the big picture here. So he says they came to life. He wants us to know they don't stay beheaded um, souls under the altar forever. They come to life like the rest of us do. They get their heads back. Oh, Gary. <laughs> get their heads back right? <clears throat> and reign with Christ a thousand years. So that's that's the big picture. Make sense? Just being honest, if you want to go get some commentaries and dig into this three or four verses, you're going through commentaries and normally, you know, a couple of verses has a paragraph or two explanation. You get to this chunk, it's like four pages. This one. So I started flipping. I was like, oh, you know, I like it when it's cut, cut and clean and dry and black and white. Amen. So when you get like four or five different interpretations from the Lord. So I sift through it. This is the most sense I make. So when you just talked about it, where are the souls that have already passed away? Which ones? Same or anything. Say we already got our, we're, we're, we've already been, the marriage to the Lamb has already happened. So we're in His presence, we got our bodies, yeah, we're right there. Yeah, good question. Because I think. Yeah. Oh, right now? With, with the Lord. Jesus is a thief on the cross. Today he'll be with me in paradise. Yeah. It's a go-to verse, but there's a Well, yeah, heaven right now is in waiting to come on here. It's there. God rules and reigns in it. His throne is there. We've seen the throne in chapters 4 and 5. So heaven is kind of like the mothership right now. It's, it's hovering and it's waiting to come out. 
Sure. We, we kind of we mix the images. We mix. Yeah. Don't have the resurrection physical touch me bodies yet. Um, I, I don't. I try not to say too much. We do funeral sermons and stuff. I do it with everybody else. We uh, we kind of mix the reality of the end promises with uh, the right now, what they're experiencing right now. And to be honest, time up there, you know, it's maybe a both and. Um, God doesn't care about chronology and watches and calendars and stuff too much. He gives that to us down here so we can have a sense of life. But, um, yeah, I try not to split hairs too much unless I'm in a Bible study. <laughs> yeah, great question. Okay. Let's throw this next verse out there. Verse 5. You know, i got to find out how do we know when to put parentheses. I've never, never heard anybody speak to that. Anybody ever heard somebody speak to that? How do you know when they're writing in the Greek? How do they know it's parentheses? I've never heard anybody mention that or ever seen it written. Uh, so, end of verse 4, they came to life, reigning Christ a thousand years from martyrs. Verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Who's ruling and reigning with Christ for the thousand years? All, all believers, all the saints, all believers. So who, who's the rest of the dead that isn't? Hanging out with us in the millennium. Unbelievers. unbelievers. So the unbelievers for a thousand years don't get their bodies. Don't get resurrection and judgment. Yeah, quasi. They're not in a happy place now. But it's not full on it's not the full on physical experience of torment. Yeah. So the next question is, well, where are they during the thousand years? The souls. The abyss, maybe? I don't know. I don't know what the Bible says. Purgatory. <laughs> Thank you. There we go. Yeah. So so we, we make up a place because we don't know what to do. So I, I can't, I don't know. I don't know what the Bible says. But, uh, so that's a that's a whammy, not a whammy, but it's a curveball, right? Spitball. <laughs> Use baseball terminology. Spitball is like, huh? How do, how do I deal with that? That's a spitball. The rest of the dead did not come to life till a thousand years were ended. And then he says. This is the first resurrection. Boy, that gets commentators right around the bushes. <coughs> so you look towards you look at this whole picture now. Believers ruling and reigning on the earth for a thousand years. Uh, the martyrs get special, I think, special top end thrones. 
they will for a thousand years too. The rest of the dead, the unbelievers, did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. I get the sense I get is that the great white throne judgment, everybody gets their final judgment in the future. That doesn't have to be in a thousand years, so that's when we're going to get, that's when they're going to get their bodies. That's when the bodies wrapped up. So the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. The first resurrection. So, so who's alive at the beginning of the millennium to live life? There's only two groups. Those who have been resurrected in Christ as believers. The others are folks who have somehow managed to live through the seven years of tribulation. But the first resurrection is uh, <clears throat> believers. So when he mentions here, the rest of the dead don't come to life, what might we call that coming to life? Might call that resurrection. It says they don't get their resurrection until the thousand years is done. That we, we might call that the what resurrection? Not? Second resurrection. Now it doesn't say that specifically here, but he says. Uh, this is the first resurrection. Keep on going next verse. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. So that makes it a little more clear. There is a second resurrection. Who's that for? Unbelievers. That's for the unbelievers after the millennium is done and they get resurrected unto judgment. The great white throne judgment. So when you go all the way through, it's, the clouds begin to kind of part. You're like, okay, this is making more sense now. The first resurrection is the resurrection of the rapture of all believing saints. There's another resurrection a thousand years plus later at the end of the millennium for all the unbelievers in preparation for their final dispatching to eternal punishment. All right, let's come back to that next Sunday. I can tell you that fried your brain is pretty good. Let's pray. Okay, Lord. We love the idea of ruling and reigning with you. We love the idea of the first resurrection. We continue to pray, Father, help us to bring more and more people into that first resurrection. Before the trumpet blows, we arrive in the clouds and the opportunities are done. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, grace, and mercy for us today. In your precious name, we pray. Amen. Yeah.